take time to return to you thanks for the freedoms that we <clears throat> for the for the freedoms we have to live the way we choose to worship you unhampered and pursue our personal dreams we confess that sometimes we take them for granted lord in this moment of clarity we want to thank you for these and all the other blessings bestowed on us in particular we thank you for washing us clean from sin and giving us salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our assurance of forgiveness this morning comes from Psalms 103, verses 11 through 13. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Our guidelines for living this morning also comes from Psalms 103, verses 1 through 5. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. Thank you, Scott. So all join together in our songs of praise and stand together as we can.
Through the prophet Ezekiel, God is speaking about Israel. In previous verses, he says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid their land of wild beasts so that they may live in the desert and sleep in forests of safety. He goes on to say in verses 26 and 27, I will bless them in the places surrounding my hill. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. The trees of the field will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops. Father in heaven, this season we just give you thanks and glory and praise for the showers of blessing we receive in our lives every day, for the beautiful homes, for the cars that drive us places that are climate resistant. We thank you also too, Father God, for the many other blessings, for health, for family, for loved ones that we will celebrate with, Father, this week. We pray also too, Father God, we just pray that these offerings as we give them our tokens of our gratitude to all these blessings, and especially the blessing of salvation that we have. And it's Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you as we reflect on history and the wonderful people that came seeking religious freedom to start a new country, a new world, and to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to this world. I thank you for those people that put together that Maypower Compact and let us know that they came to bring Jesus Christ to the Indian nation. And that they also came, Lord, with much 
brokenness as they lost so many people. And yet with gratitude on their hearts that you, that first Thanksgiving, that they were able to give you thanks and praise. And to see that, Lord, uh, Christian movement go and continue to grow and to even to our state capital where the portraits in the, the, uh, underneath the dome of the rotundra are just filled with the Christ being proclaimed through the portraits the statues of the presidents that preached in that hall and that the love of Christ there. I just pray that our country can hear that. I pray that our leaders will hear that, that they will walk into those halls and be stunned by the proclamation of gospel that is there and that they will see it for really what it is. I pray, Lord, for this country right now and for this whole world as we see so many things going on. We ask you, Christ, to just work in it. And we ask you, Lord, that you're sovereign Lord in control of it all. We just give it over to you. We know this is bigger than ourselves and things that we hear and things that we see. But you're in control and we give you praise. We pray, Father God, too, for our church as it makes the journey into new headings and new places. Give us the wisdom that we need. And Father God, I pray also, too, for our congregation, for those that are sick and struggling, those who are having struggles with their marriages, Lord. I just pray that you will continue to work in their lives and that Christ, you can come, Lord, to those marriages and bring healing out of the brokenness, bring joy and, and happiness in places where there's darkness and sadness and even neglect. I pray, Lord, that, Lord, you'll spread your word through our church and through the people who are here. We pray especially too, Father God, for those who we know that are struggling. We pray especially for Lucille and for Kay and for Kay health and decisions to make for a little baby by the name of Ward, uh, Lord, that um, is getting surgery on his little heart. We pray for healing for that and that he'll have a normal life. We pray also too, Father, for Joyce and Mary and their backs and the troubles that they're having with that. I pray also too, Lord, for those that we know that are addicted, for Ryan, for Jordan, for um, Eric, for Ricky, for uh, Mitch. And these people, Lord, are in a bondage, and I just pray for their healing. I pray this week as we bring out food to the families that we work with, Lord, that uh, don't have much. I just pray that they can see and hear the gospel proclaimed through the actions that we take and the words that we give. We pray also, too, for those who have lost loved ones. We know that the holidays are tough sometimes for those who've lost loved ones and they're lonely. But I just pray, Lord, that you'll bring them and pick them up and give them strength, especially with the joy they know that they'll see them again, but also, too, for their loneliness that they have in these days. We pray also for others, Lord, that we may not have written on our sheet here, but you know the situations, and, Lord, I just pray for them. I pray for parents who are raising their children and working hard at it, for parents who are struggling in their own lives to find identity. We pray for single parents that are going through difficult times in their lives and trying to juggle so much. Lord, all these things we bring to you, and we're thankful that you hear us, and you open your ear to us. And now, Father, we pray for your word to be spoken and that we can hear what you have to say for us and make application to our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for being present here this morning. In your name we pray. 
Amen. Daniel Gilbert, who's a psychologist out of Harvard University and was working with the Gallup organization also back in 2009, said Americans are smiling less, they're worrying more, they're anxious and depressed. They lose a lot of sleep, smoking has gone going back up. And he stated the real problem is not financial. We are better off than we ever have been in this country. It's not that we don't have enough money, but something else. People are struggling with uncertainty, he said, especially now with the COVID and with all the stuff that's going on politically. People don't know what's going to happen and whether it be their job or their future. And Gilbert appointed the Dutch experiment in uh, over in Holland where they had 40 people, 20 of them told that every once in a while they'd get a shock, a good shock. And then they took another 20 people and said they were going to have three mild shots, shocks and 17 harsh shocks. And they found in the result of the second group who knew they were only going to have three shots that were not going to be so bad, they were more disrupted, more uncertain, more anxious than the others that had knew they were going to get 20 hard shots of electricity. In another situation of colostomies, the colostomy patients that were told that they were going to be permanently have a colostomy did better than those who had this thought that maybe they could reverse their colostomy. And they found out that the people who had the possibility of reverse were more anxious six months down the road than the people who had the idea that they knew exactly what was going to happen to them. Gilbert says, uncertain futures leaves us stranded and unhappy present with nothing to do but wait. Our national gloom is enough. The influences, the funds, and all the thing that's going on has got people more depressed. Also, the relevancy of our culture today has got more people uncertain than ever before. And that we're wondering about what's going to happen politically. Culture has changed radically, especially in the last couple of years. And what we find here is that American Revolution that believed in the biblical values of freedom and love has now been transformed from what we had in the past for 250 years that now we've gone to the French Revolution that was an atheistic model of freedom. And what has happened is, is that it has caused such dissension in our ranks, dissatisfaction. Some like to say that we blame the president or we blame the social media or the coastals, New York and California against the Midlanders. We also hear about the difference between the American uh, nationalists and the, social, and the globalists like Soros who want to change our world. Well, today we realize that we're in a world that has been influenced by Marx. Back in the 1960s, they realized that the rioting, which was about a hundred areas of our country were in riots at that time. And what had happened was they saw no change. But Marxists in this country by the name of Gransky and also by the guy named about Rudy Doiska and Gransky and Muska 
all these guys, looked at America and said, why isn't it changing? And they decided that it wasn't economic, it wasn't philosophical, but what they needed to do is they needed to change the culture. And so back in the 60s, they wrote about their theme was the long march through the institutions. And today, this is where we're at. Because what they did is they hammered on three basic places. Number one, the colleges and the university they affected with their philosophy and political rhetoric. Then they also worked on the media, the news outlets. And then finally, they also used, and this is how they changed our culture now, into using the, the movies and TV and the arts to change our culture. And 60 years later, they won the battle. And this is where we're at right now. And as Paul once said to the Galatians, who has bewitched you? We can say that to America, who has bewitched America? And that's how it's happened. And now we have to reverse it. Today, we're talking about John's epistle because he realized, like Paul, that the Gnostics bewitched the church. And they had this special knowledge that they said, and with all this theological stuff, they wanted to change and say Jesus was not God. They wanted to say that you're not sinning, your body is, but your mind's okay. They wanted to say that we don't need salvation. And Paul and John, and John today, shows us why it's so wrong to believe this stuff. Because the fact of the matter is, we have an assurance that comes with our faith that's so far beyond what we ever could imagine or think. And so John writes to us first the facts. He says to us, this is the one who came by water and the blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is in the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. The three are in agreement. And if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son. And the one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. And the one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given to us concerning his son. Now John is coming to us now and saying this is the testimony that we know that the Gnostics are wrong and that we know that God is right in all he says. We want to believe people. You know, it, it's amazing. Um, you know, people say there's only one certain, there's only a few certainties. Like ben, Benjamin Franklin, he said that taxes and death are, are two certain things. Well, John is saying, let me tell you something. This is what's certain. The Christian can have certainty in his salvation and that God is in control. You know, there are many people who look for certainty. They go to mystics, they go to Ouija boards, they go to psychics, they go to mediums to try to find out and to know the future before it happens. And John is saying to us, no, this is what you can know for certain. And he says there's testimony of three things. He says there's the three things that testify of it. One is the water, one is the blood, and one is the spirit and the word. 
And what John is telling us, and, and many people have thought that, well, did, does that mean that it's the communion, that the baptism is the water, and that the blood is communion service, and that the Spirit ministers to us? That's a possibility, but it's not really what he's talking about here. He's talking about, and there's others who say, well, when Jesus went on the cross and they pierced him in his side, that the water and the blood came in. Was that what it was about? No. What he was talking about is that we have the testimony in the scriptures that Jesus Christ is the Son of God because, number one, because of the water. If you remember, Jesus went down to the water to be baptized by John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was a baptism of repentance. Now, Jesus was sinless, and John did not want to baptize him. And because Jesus did not need to repent. But what Jesus did, he wanted to be baptized so that he would show us that he was going to identify with us as his human being. And that he was going to take on the sin that was going to be washed away by his work on the cross. And so he came and did that to testify to us the covenant that God has made with us. And that God sent his son to die on the cross for us. And that when Jesus came out of the water, we hear that voice of God that says, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And what he's emphasizing that Jesus is the God son who came both physically, which the Gnostics did not believe. He said he came physically to bear our sin and become in touch with us and live perfectly so that he could represent us and be the perfect lamb of God that could take away the sin of the world. And that the blood was Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And that as he died on the cross, that blood that he spilt and the hammering that he received was to forgive us for our sins. That when he was on the cross, God unleashed all his wrath on Christ. And that the blood was to show that he was the sacrifice for our sin. That washes away the sins of the world. And that John is showing us these two testimonies that are divinely inspired. And he's saying to the false teachers, you don't have it. You've missed it. These testimonies God has given to us. And he's showing us. And then later on in the, gospel, in the book of Acts, we hear it when they're asked, why can you heal that man? And what does Peter say? He says that it's through Christ that we're able to heal this man and that there is salvation in no one else, no other one, but Jesus Christ our Lord. He says it this way. He said, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven among men which can be saved. Which the heresy was that they were saying that Christ can't save us. And Jesus is, and God is saying through the word here, he is the one who saves. He's the only one that can save us. Now, if you look at world religions, I was listening about a pastor who had been a missionary over in, I think it was Oman. And while he was there, he played cricket with an Inman. An Inman was, is basically the religious leader of the Muslims. He's one of the religious leaders. And as he was talking, they were talking about their faiths after this cricket game. And the guy was telling him that really he had no assurance. This Inman said he wasn't certain whether or not he would go to heaven or not. Because he wouldn't know whether or not Allah would forgive him his sins. 
He was unsure with all the good works that he'd done that Allah would accept him into his heaven. There was such uncertainty with Allah. And that he had to merit heaven by all his good works. And he wasn't even sure he had that. Whereas this fellow said to him, my friend, Christianity is totally different. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to this earth, gives you and can give you and I have certainty that even if I was in a sin while I was killed, I would still be saved because God sent his son to forgive me and he gave me eternal life and the promise is sure that we can have eternal life because of what he did for me and the fallout is this is assurance the assurance comes the testimony is this that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son and he who has the Son has the life. He does not have the Son, does not have the life. These things I have written to you that who believe in the name of the Son of God. So that you might know certainty, assurance that you have eternal life. This Inman didn't have it. No matter how religious he tried to be, he did not have it. And the fallout is, is that when Christ is God in the flesh... When Jesus is proclaimed at his baptism as the Son of God, God-man, and that on the cross that he dies and lets out his blood to save us, then as we are changed from death to life, the Bible says, we're new people. We not only get eternal life when we die and go to heaven, we start eternal life when we are born again and we're changed in our hearts. And that this life is new in us and it changes us. And we begin to see our practices no longer want to practice sin, but want to practice righteousness. No one who's born of God practices sin, John says. And that we have this love of the brethren that we never had. Even if they're the most noxious person, the Spirit of God works in us as Jesus' heart is in us. And that we change our attitude towards them. And that we love one another. And that we are overcomers. Overcomers of ourself, our sinful self. And we are what we call uper, Nike, super overcomers. And that's the truth that the word of God gives us of the assurance that we don't have to fear. No matter what men say. Sir James Simpson, who was the discovered chloroform, was on his deathbed friend comes to him and says, Sir, what are your speculations about death? He replied, No speculations here, my friend. He says, I have none. He says, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he, Jesus Christ, can keep me and keeps what I've committed to Christ until the end. There's no fear. There's no speculations. I am finally truly with Christ. And then I am free from the burden of my sin. Because of who Christ was. And that testimony of his baptism. And his testimony of his death. And the spirit comes inside me and visits me and speaks to my heart. You know it and I know it folks. Because of Jesus Christ. Imagine yourself dying. And standing before the throne of God, 
And you know, as we saw that trial of the Rittenhouse thing this past week, you stand there before the eternal judge, almighty God, who knows the secrets of our hearts and everything about us. And then we have this prosecutor by the name of Satan called in the Bible the accuser of the brethren. And he's standing there. And he says, Dave Henyon, huh, what a louse he is. He's terrible. He's a sinner. You know what he thought the other day? You know what he did the other day? Look at what he is like. He's a, he, 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 his righteousness is even filthy rags. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> and what a powerful thing. He's making a big defense for me and saying, you're going down, buddy. And I stand there and I'm getting whacked by him. And what a joy to say, you know, God, he's right. I am that person. I don't deserve this, God. But because of the attorney next to me, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Jesus Christ, the sacrifice for my sins, I want him to tell you what I am. And you know what? The judge says, not guilty. Even though I don't deserve it. He has found a place for me and for you that no one can take it from us. No one. All the things that he does for us, we can't take it from us. An eternal life. Because now, because of what Christ has done, I can say, Father, Abba, I'm his child. He will never turn away from us. And there are days that I know we feel that we don't deserve it. We feel that we're, why would God even love me? And yet, the Bible says that he died for me. And I'm his. And he'll never let me go. One of the things that we need to understand, I, I love Bill Bright, who has worked for Campus Crusade, wrote this beautiful thing of four spiritual laws, and in the back of it, many young Christians struggle with whether or not they're saved or not. But he made this illustration of a, a, a steam engine. And in that steam engine are the facts, God's word of what he said and what he promised to you and to me. And the truth that we receive because of Christ. And it's all in that steam engine. With all that power to conquer sin. All that power to give us life. To give us the joy. And the coal car is our faith. And as we give our faith to this Christ in the steam car. That engine pulls us down the road and brings us safely to eternity in heaven. And the caboose is our feelings. They can't move the train worth nothing. But we can have the joy in this life and in the next life because we know 
The engine is taking us there. The truth of God and His Son and what He's done. And that we live by faith and keep on giving ourselves to it. And that caboose will come along and we will experience joy. What freedom we experience when we understand this as believers in Christ. We don't have to be walking around depressed and sad and feeling like if we don't confess a sin that we miss, we're going to go to hell. That's not part of us. We are freed by Christ. And when we started three months ago this wonderful book, John wanted us to know for certain that we have eternal life. Nothing can separate us from that love of God. And that he is our source of eternal life. And that we've been born again by. That we're free. And we know it by the record that has come to us that's historical and theological. That speaks to us. And we know it. What happens if the IRS comes to me one day and says, you and Sandy have been filing jointly. But we doubt that you really are married. Oh, really? Tell us why we, you should think that we are married. You are married to this woman and that you should file jointly. I said, well, back in May 21st, 1977, we went to Iowa, had a tux on and she had a white gown on and we, she walked down the aisle and I said, I do and I will. And there was all the flowers and we had a reception. Everything was great. And it felt good. I stood before the, man, the, 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 the preacher and said, I will. <laughs> and they said, yeah, but we don't know that that's a true story. How do we know? Well, you need to go to the record and contact Lynn County, Iowa, the county seat. And there is a wonderful, basically a proof legally that we are married and that we can file jointly because I had emotional experience, no. That we had a fun time, no. But we made a legal contract and that God has made a legal contract for us and that's why we can be free and go to heaven because God has made that contract with us and he is the one Who's the one who can handle it for us? You see, and then John goes on to us and says to us, not only are we a certainty about where we're going to go, but that we also know we have this freedom. And look what the freedom that we have. This is the confidence which we have before him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which he have asked from him. John now is speaking to us about prayer. He says you can have the confidence to know that when you go before Almighty God because of what has happened, because of the contract that God has made for you in your life through Jesus Christ, you can come to him with anything. And you can ask him anything. But you need to ask him, he says, look what he says, according to God's will. He'll hear you. He's not going to hear anybody who's uttering out prayers that doesn't believe in him. Why would he honor that? Because if they don't believe him, and they just want to use him as their genie, he's not going to hear that prayer. 
The prayer he's going to listen to is the one who truly believes in him, believes that he can answer it. And notice that person is going to be the person who really wants to pray in God's will and not our own. And this is the stipulation that he gives according to his will. The Westminster Larger Confession tells us, what is prayer? It says to us, prayer is the offering up of the desires unto God in the name of Jesus Christ, by the help of the Holy Spirit, with confession of our sins and the faithful acknowledgments of his mercies. That's how we come to God in prayer. And this is the confidence we have because we are related to our Father in heaven. And we know that he hears every prayer that the servant, the saint has. Listen to this. George Mueller. 10,000 young orphans went through his orphanage in his lifetime. Many of them came to know Christ through his ministry. But he also had five of his closest friends that did not know Christ. And he began to pray for them. Two of them came to know Christ in two years. One of them came to know Christ in ten years. And the fifth one never came to Christ while he was dying, while he was dying. Months after his death, his friend came to know Christ, that last friend. And folks, it's when we trust God and his timing, that he knows what he's doing, and that we trust him for all those things, and that we come to him, and we can lay our hearts before him, and he truly hears us. The key is, number one, that we come to him, we pray in his will. God has a will that is not changeable. There are things that we shouldn't pray for, the Bible tells us, because they're not God's will. We shouldn't pray that we could sin. I, I knew a girl that one time I was working with. She came to know Christ at the end of her life. But she would pray and ask Jesus as she was hitting her arms that she could get a vein so she could pop heroin into her arm. He's not going to answer that prayer. Jesus is going to answer the prayer that is according to his will. His decreed will. And his desires for mankind. Those decreed will is absolute. It's not going to be changed. But we can come to God with our prayer concerns. But we don't ask him for things like sin. He's not going to answer that prayer. And that we have to come to him with sincere hearts. And that we come to him with our hearts and prayers unhindered. If we have unconfessed sin in our life. You think God is going to honor you and answer your prayer. When you have unconfessed sin that's blocking you from a good relationship with him. He's not going to answer that. He says that in Peter. Peter said that a few months ago when we were going through Peter. He says, if you have things with your wife that you are not treating her well, man, your prayer is not going to be answered. Whoa. That's a tough one. Second, he says that thy will be done. We see that in Jesus on the Gethsemane when he's on the floor. He's laying himself out to God and asking him that he doesn't have to go through the torture and pain and the suffering and the eternal wrath of God on the cross. But then he says that phrase. 
Because he knew that that was decreed by God to save us. And even though his human part didn't really want to go through that, he trusted God and that was God's decree that he die for us. And so what does he say? Father, take this away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He wanted to fulfill his father's will. And so he does what the father wants. And truly trust the father for the eternal salvation that you and I have received because he was willing to follow the will of God. Now there are times you know and I know God has our will laid out. There are times he will say as we pray, even a sincere prayer that's, he'll say, yes. He'll give us that prayer answered. But then there are some times he says, not right now. Wait. He's trying to develop our faith. And there are times that it's longer to have to wait than other times. I see it. I saw it in the friends this past week who have a little baby that has to get heart surgery. And they've been told by the, the doctors that they don't have the time right now. And they have him on a list. And they're waiting as parents who love their child and don't want to see anything negative. He has to get a valve fixed. And it's serious. But they had other things that have priority over that. And you see... Sometimes God will do that. He's trying to grow us. And sometimes he will answer us no. Because it's not part of the plan. And God has something else in that plan. And the Bible is filled with people who've prayed. Many of them answered. Many of them not answered the way they wish. And Jesus at Gethsemane didn't get... But he finally relinquished to the decree of God and his plan and was willing to follow God's plan. And the Bible promises us that he'll hear our requests and that we have to trust him when he answers them the way, maybe not our way, but God's way. I was thinking about this as I was writing this sermon. John the Apostle. His brother was in prison. Acts chapter 12. His brother was in prison. And I can imagine John, he never talks about it in the scriptures. But I can imagine he was praying like crazy for his brother. And in Acts chapter 12, it tells us that James was beheaded by the authorities. I heard. And can you imagine what that must have felt for him? And then, later on in that same passage, an angel comes to Peter, who is also in another prison, and opens the door. The soldiers are put to sleep, and he walks right out. And he goes down to the house of Rhoda, knocking on the door. And she goes to the door, the servant girl, and opens it up and sees Peter, who inside, they're having a prayer meeting for Peter's safety. And she runs in and said, it's Peter, forgetting even to open the door. 
But she sees them through the little thing in, their, in the, the door. And they don't believe it. And here they've been praying wholeheartedly for it. And sometimes God answers. And I wonder with John. See, he's coming to us and giving us insight into understanding God and the petitions that we have before Almighty God and how the source of everything that is right and good and perfect of God's will. And he says we need to have our hearts right, confess our sin, pray according to the will of God, realizing that maybe that may not be our will, but that we're going to trust him no matter where he's going to take us and what he's going to do. And that he's going to save those whom he's going to save. And that he continually works in our lives. As we give him our requests. Which we ask from him. Who's the source and power of life. And we may not understand everything about it. Thomas Edison made inventions that he didn't know much about light. He didn't know much about electricity. But he knew how they worked. And he used them and did great things for our society. And prayer is similar. We may not all know the ins and outs of prayer and how God works, but we do know certain things. That we pray in the will of God. That we don't let any sin stand between us and God in our relationship. He wants to give us the joys of our heart. And he'll help us. And part of that is our salvation. You know, there's a lot of people who run around trying to be good people and very religious people. And yet they don't understand that it's not your goodness and the way you work it like the Inman and, and, and Muslim, being a Muslim or people who try to be good and believe they're going to get their way into heaven by their goodness. They're missing the point. It's only through Jesus Christ. And he answers his prayers according to his will. And the more we can release that to him, the better we are. As we continue to pray, as we continue to live, and as we open our hearts to him and accept Christ's marvelous gift, we're set free inside <laughs> to be different people. When you're striving and striving, you're not going to get anywhere. You know, I I give a lot of gifts to people who are in need. But there are a lot of times you'll run into people who are just very ungrateful. <laughs> but you see, when you give it, not to please them, but you give it to please God. It's on them whether they accept it in the right way or they treat you kindly. The gift that you give out of the heart because you love Jesus. And it's out of that gratitude that you're free from, you're not going to let their attitude affect you. Because you're at peace with Christ. And you're at home with Christ. And whether they accept it graciously or they ask for more and think that you're not being kind enough. <laughs> that doesn't bother you. You gave it from the heart for Jesus. And you see, there's a lot of people who run around this earth trying to be good enough. They're not accepting the testimony that Christ came to this world as God-man. That he died for their sins on the cross. 
and want to give them this freedom. They miss it. And they're frustrated. They get tired with religion, and they should, because religion doesn't work. It's a relationship with Christ and trusting Him. Bear Bryant was a coach down in Alabama. And you know, sometimes funny things happen in a game. They were winning by five points at this game. And he put in the third string quarterback to get some time to play with only a few seconds left on the clock. And Bryant said to this young quarterback, now just accept the snap and hand it off to the running back. First play, he did it. They didn't get much. He handed off again, but the clock was running down and they were going to win the game if they just ran the three plays. But then this young quarterback thought he could take charge and he saw an opening in it. Maybe they can win the game even by more points. <laughs> and so he decided to call pass play. And as the wide receiver went out, he was wide open and this young quarterback reeled back and threw it. And guess what? It got intercepted. Now they were on the five yard line. And this, run, this defensive back was the fastest guy on their team. Took off with that ball, and he was heading for a touchdown. And that quarterback took after him and caught him on the other five-yard line just before the touchdown. Now, the coach on the other team, as Bryant won the game, said to Bryant, what happened there? He said, your quarterback, we know, is one of the slower quarterbacks in the league. And we don't understand how he could catch that fast defensive back. And Bryant said to the coach, you know what? When you're running for a touchdown, that's one thing. But when you're running for your life, that's another thing. And there are a lot of people running for their life, trying to be good, trying to do the best thing, and all that. And, 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 and they don't have the ability. And the only one has the ability is Jesus Christ to save them. And my prayer is this year, for this Thanksgiving, that we know what's at stake. And that the, Christ, the, the scriptures testify that Jesus is the Son of God. And that Jesus is the one who dies for us. And, and that we only trust in him. Because when we trust in him and we are saved, we have no fear. We are not afraid to die. We're not afraid what the world says. Because our trust is in the supreme living Savior who bought our ticket and gave us eternal life. And I pray that this season that we have coming up of Thanksgiving, we can be so grateful for what God has done for us eternally and also out of gratitude we can live our lives every day for what he has done for us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you for what you've done for us. I thank you, God, that you sent your only son to come and that we have a testimony of scripture 
as you proclaim from the heavens my only son in whom I'm well pleased. And then on the cross, Christ took all the wrath that we deserve for our sin and removed it from us. Help us, Lord, to have abundant life now eternally with you with great joy on our hearts and relief and no pressure. And that we look forward to that day when we will stand before you and we'll be welcomed into heaven. I pray that if anybody doesn't know that today, does not know that joy, that today they can do that. Ask you, Christ, to come into their hearts and forgive their sin and become in relationship with them. And that we can live these lives of true gratitude and thanksgiving to you. Knowing that our heaven's already been bought by you. And that we are free to live wonderfully on this life. Because you freed us. And we're filled with your joy. Knowing you as our friend. And it's in you we pray this Christ. Amen. Let's stand and receive the benediction. And then sing our closing song. And now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, your Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. Love lives.